Yeah, who wouldn't be happy working in a prison? <laughs> yeah. No, I can't let it down. This hope I feel. Oh, the city's made me cry. Josh, cheers, man. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, dude, for sure. Thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on. It's always good to to have a buddy on so we can can talk shop and also talk smack. Something I've been wanting to ask you is how does one go from being a prison guard to a hairstylist? Oh, man. Uh, so I, I haven't talked about that in a long time. Um, so I was a hairstylist first. Then I became a correctional officer. Then I went back to being a hairstylist. So um, – when I graduated school, it was right before the recession. So it was 07. Um, and then pretty much like directly following getting my bearings in the hair industry. Um, the recession happened. I lived in a smaller town. So basically what goes down is like, I, I always work like three jobs. Um, and since I was 15, I've had a job. So I was just like kind of burnt on fighting to like, I mean, when I say fighting, I mean like, I lived all, I already lived with two roommates at the time. And that was by choice. Like I have an amazing family. They didn't kick me out or anything. Um, but like, I recall the girl I was dating at the time made me food for when I came home in between my jobs, my roommates ate it because she went to work and they saw food on the table, but it had a note saying like, Josh, they ate it and left. And I only had enough money to go buy potatoes and white bread. And I want you guys to know that today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you find yourself struggling with anxiety, depression, or just feeling stuck in life? Well, BetterHelp is here to help. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy platform with licensed therapists available to you from the comfort of your own home. With BetterHelp, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your therapist. Or you can simply message them anytime you need to. No more sitting in traffic, no more waiting rooms, ugh, and no more feeling uncomfortable. And here's the best part. BetterHelp is affordable. Financial aid is available to those who qualify. And our listeners get 10% off their first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Birmingham. Take the first step towards a happier, healthier life with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Birmingham today and get 10% off your first month. Thanks for listening to the Discover Birmingham podcast. Now back to the show. And I was just like over it, dude. I mean, I was just like, why that was am I the doing final this? straw. You're like, I'm going for a change. So that's when you decided to look into a different career. Yeah. So like, I was just going like, whatever, dude, whatever's out there is like, if I can do it or, and it doesn't sound terrible, I'll give it a shot. And one of my best friends was a correction officer in a prison in Florida. So I was like, all right, uh, are they hiring? And we had that conversation a couple of times because he had kept kind of pushing me that way. Always seemed happy. I mean, enough at least. Yeah. Who wouldn't be happy working in a prison? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, you get to go home, so there's a perk to it. Yeah. So I applied. I got the job. Um, I did it for about 14, 15 months. And then I didn't. <laughs> I was like. This is pretty terrible. Okay, yeah. let's pause right there. So, but when you were doing it, was something that stuck with you from that experience of working in a prison? Because you had a window into a world that most people never see other than maybe what they see on TV. But, you know, that's that's different than what you really saw living it. So what did you see? Um, some days there would be intense moments. Most days aren't that intense. And it was a pretty serious prison I worked at, but like, you have to, you have to think about it. Like the people that are there, they live there. So not every moment of their day is, is being as terrible as they could be. And they're a lot smarter than people give them credit for. They just make bad choices. So as a CEO, like your job is to protect them from each other and just make sure they follow the rules. All right. So like from themselves also. Because there's a pecking order there, right? There's, like you said, shot callers. There's, yeah. what does that look like? Um, so 
basically everybody segregates in a prison and it's just, they do it like officers don't do it. Um, when you go in, you basically align with someone who you can align with because it's protection, safety in a, in a sense, at least. And what, what does that look like? Are they aligning by race or by the crime they committed or no. are all the murderers banding together to rule the place or what is it? No, no. It's like it's all ethnicity for the most part. And then the only time that's not the case is like your gay community within a prison. And there's like very effeminate gays in, in prisons and – um, I don't say that to be derogatory, but there, there's very, it, it's very obvious the ones who are openly gay. So I'm imagining like what they, uh, in Shawshank Redemption, they called them the sisters. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. I mean like that was, Shawshank Redemption was actually very accurate. Uh, it's terrifying. It, it, no, it is. So like, it doesn't matter how tough you are. Most people aren't going to beat up 15 dudes that jump you. So like you can be tough. You better hope to God you're never in the scenario that it's more than one or two people. Not to mention there's nothing fair about prison. Like they'll shank you. They don't care. They'll, they'll hit you with bars of soap and a sock. Like that's a real, Oh, that's a real thing. Absolutely. Um, do they make alcohol? You catch them doing all kinds of crazy stuff. They tattoo from electric shavers. They can make a tattoo machine and then put it back together as a shaver. So you can't steal it. Is that where you got your tattoos? I mean, some of them look like it. No, um, the three, the three that are on my leg were my first, second and third tattoo that I tattooed. Fun fact. So is it, is it like, uh, like Orange is the New Black where they're making hooch in the toilet? Uh, we call it Buck is what buck? it's called. Buck. That's what they call it in the prison. What is that? What's that made of? Anything they can steal from mess hall. Anything that they can ferment from. So they'll do it with onion. They'll do it any, they prefer fruit because that's more akin to wine. But like they would take vegetables, anything that can rot and they can put sugars with to create alcohol. And I mean, it's gross, dude. Like when you find it, they'll scoop maggots off the top. But it's just the the desire to get like some kind of release while they're there. Dude. I mean, it's it's horrible. You never want to go to prison. That's what you need to know. You never want to be on the side of the law that gets you to prison. So they can't escape physically. So they want to escape mentally. Yeah, dude. I mean, and they'll sell it. So it's like a form of currency or they can trade it. So there's a whole economy in a prison, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Favors for cigarettes, favors for food, favors for favors. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild, dude. Like it's, it's not as crazy as what you would see on TV, but like, it's, it's great that you brought up Shawshank Redemption. That is very accurate. Now it's different because that was much more old school. Um, so the segregation aspect of it is that's just prison culture and it's only perpetuated by the inmates. They, we literally like separate them for a diversity. So there's more evenness in a prison, um, Within, within a prison population. So any prison, statistically, they try to mix and match to keep people away from one another. And then also, like, when you know everybody has a profile, like a file or a jacket. So everything about them is in there that you can document. And anything that you can identify as, like, a gang affiliation, like a tattoo or whatever, you know that. So you there's, there's a whole staff that puts the – they try to mix and match correctly to keep issues from being more prevalent. And I heard that you have to uh, – a prison inmate will carry some kind of papers that identifies what they did. Is that mm-hmm. true? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's not true. They don't they don't carry anything around with them like that, at least where I worked. I can't speak for Alabama prison because I worked in Florida. You have access to their file because you have their file in their – like in the officer station. There's like a filing cabinet that has everybody responsible for and what it is, it's like, it's what they did, but it's more like a psychological evaluation. So you know who you're dealing with in the event you're having issues or whatever. But really that, that was like, I had access to it, but it's kind of above my pay grade at the time. You know how you hear about Florida man? No. What? Florida man. Like, Florida. Uh, it's kind of like a, a running joke that a lot of headlines begin with the term Florida man and then insert something crazy. No, I've never heard of this. Really? Are you being <laughs> funny? No, dude. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, and it's I grew a, up in Dothan, right by Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I mean I've heard of a it. lot of the craziest headlines start with Florida man because people are apparently crazy in Florida. Were Pretty there any Florida. Florida men in prison? Are there any were there any offenders that really stood out to you for what they did? Uh yeah. But no, only because I found out there. Like I so I made it a point, dude, like something that I guess some people don't realize. Like I'm extremely empathetic. And it's not by choice. Like, it's just who I am. So, like, 
if you tell me something horrible, I feel it, dude. I, I can't help it. I feel it. And if I hear something horrible about someone, I feel aggrieved almost, especially then because I was, I mean, I was young. I was much less mature. So what did you find out about somebody? It's really dark. Just FYI. Um, Disclaimer. So I was working, conf- uh, not confinement, excuse me, visitation. And there was this guy who was like, he looked like an Abercrombie Fitch model. Abercrombie, however the hell you say it, or however you say it. Um, you nailed it. Yeah, Abercrombie. Um, so basically, he was tattooed, but it was like pretty boy tattoos. And um, very fit guy, like always had his hair styled and stuff because like they have access to a lot of things in prisons. Um, so he was in there and one of the officers I worked with, she was like, do you know what he did? And I was like, no, and I don't want to know because I made it a point because I know me. I can't separate what you did when I know who you are and I have to deal with you daily. And this dude literally suffocated his own child. Oh yeah. It was, it was horrible. And what's even wilder dude is at least in my mind, the person that would come see him was his wife, the mother of the child. So, part of my responsibilities as a male officer is I had to escort male inmates to the bathroom in visitation because it's not like it. I mean, they're still behind bars. Like the people that visit have to come into the prison. Right. So, but you have to take them in there and make sure they're not hiding stuff, stashing stuff, whatever. And every inmate tries to befriend you so they can try to get something from you Mm. or manipulate it or trying to play you. Yeah, absolutely. And she was like, he did this. And I was just like, why did you tell me that? I don't want to know. So I intentionally avoided him because of that, because like that just sits wrong with me. So I've always been that way. I always have loved kids and elderly people like soft spot for him. So I take this, I have to take him to the bathroom at some point in visitation. He starts trying to talk to me and I was like, Hey dude, I don't, I'm not your friend. Don't talk to me. I'm, I'm officer Botterford. That's what I am. Don't talk to me. Otherwise you got to put that boundary there. Yeah. Because like, I've never wanted to kill someone so bad. Yeah, I mean, I just, it, like, at that age, I was like, this is not a healthy place for my mind to be. Like, I think he's a horrible person, but the truth of the situation, it's not your job to carry a judgment out. Yeah. Your job is to keep him safe and go home. That's your job. Go home at the end of the day and do your job. But, like, ultimately, make it home. So don't don't get involved in things you don't have to. So that was, like, that was probably the most heinous thing that stuck out to me. I, I like, I really, I only knew what a handful of them did because I, I intentionally didn't look. Mm, I see. Yeah. Were there any people there that, um, you, you could have seen yourself just being friends with in a different scenario? Absolutely. I think what a lot of people don't understand about inmates is they're, they made bad choices at a point. You're not your choices. No one is their choices. That is my belief. Um, you, you 100%, there's redemption for everyone, in my opinion. How you choose to seek it is, is on you, whatever. I have my own personal belief system. But um, to me, like, some of those people have been in prison for like five, ten years, you know. And it's like if you were 18, you went to that, you could go to that prison. Now, that was a serious prison. But what they do in the prison system is there's a percentage of like really heinous crimes. And whatever that number is, they spread them out evenly, Right. At least if you're supposed to be at that type of facility. So there's not one prison where they're all concentrated. Not usually. Well, not usually because you got to think like you got to deal with the population. So there are maximum security and there are minimum. Super maxes and all that. Yeah, yeah. But su- like super max would be like a federal, I believe. So I worked at a level five in Florida, which was, I mean, that's like, I think it's as high as you go. So that's the most intense state prison. I don't know. I, it was the, I mean, it was the most intense one in North Florida. Yeah. Um, basically you couldn't leave the grounds without being in five point restraints there. That was just like their protocol. We didn't have an outside of grounds, uh, work crew, a, another prison that was about, about a mile down the road, their work camp would come and do our outside grounds maintenance. Was there ever a point where you feared for your life? There was two times. Yeah. Two times for sure. What happened? So, uh, one time I was on the rec field. So we were a severely understaffed prison. They have a red line and we were operating definitely below the red line. We never had enough people for shift, which is super sketchy. 
like it's already terrible officer comparison to amount of inmates. So I was on the rec field. There was four of us. There were 180 inmates for four officers. I don't think I would do this as like my age now because I just think it's so insane to think back to. Because uh, if they had banded together, it would have been game over. 20 of them banded together. Like you'd fight your way until you just got beat down into the ground. They, I mean, they would kill you for sure. What do you think stopped them from doing that? It's really weird. It's like it's psychological. So you have somebody in the tower, right? The tower has double up butt shot, and you hunt. You know, if you that's, they have buck shot from that. At the, at the, I mean, that's what they had when I was there. I don't know if they. Yeah, I would have. I would have automatically assumed a three hundred eight or a rifle of some sort. You yes, something that would reach out and touch something. Yeah, that's my point. A buck shot at two hundred yards. Good luck getting hit with one. Yeah. Right. But it was the idea. So literally, I never worked the tower, but the officers that would work the tower, so they were behind two fences, they could rack the shotgun and it would be like crickets. It'd be like, done. I never worked that position. I was always on the rec field or I was working the, uh, like their cantina, basically, their commerce spot. And you would just have them in two lines and you would make sure nobody would do anything stupid. They're always looking for an out, like, or, or like something to like, some way to like slip by and do something they don't want to be called for was something that you could buy in that cantina that might surprise people that you, that somebody might think you would not have access to in a prison uh razors yeah that does seem like one that, that would they were required to shave away. unless they had a medical card that stated they had skin issues and they could grow facial hair so not only could you buy an electric razor which is a motor. And that's how they use that. That's how they do tattoos. Yes. They yeah. they could take them apart, use a big pen, uh, anything that they could fashion into a needle, and then they could put it back together and still shave with it. If you catch them with anything outside of its original form, you could take it. Mm. But yeah, like a big razor, like a single use razor, right? Um, they could have those. But if you caught them with it taken apart, because that little razor by itself can't, I mean, you could cut somebody, but it's like minimal. Yeah, it's not going to If deep. you took the blade out, and you melted a toothbrush around it, you had a handheld razor blade. So they're very creative and very smart. Um, but on the rec field, um, I had a, a, like the rule was they couldn't be in groups of more than four. And my job was to kind of meander through there and make sure they weren't doing that. Right. There were, there were three or four of us on the field that day doing that. And there was a group of five and I was like, Hey guys, break it up. There's five split it off two and three. And there was a guy that stepped up and he, you know, for lack of a better way to say it, was like, F you. And I was like, inmate, what's your name? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, F you, F you. And was like just being really aggressive. And I looked at him and I said, you got three seconds. And he was like, three seconds? Oh, oh, you think I got three seconds? And I was like, this only ends one way. You're in handcuffs. And he was like, oh, yeah. And in my mind, I'm going like, why? Why am I in this situation? The problem with it is you can't ever let them see the doubt. If they see the doubt. They know they got you. Yeah. I mean, you're controllable. You, they know that they could get under your skin. Well, thank God when that dude started stepping towards me, a guy from the distance said something to him and he stops and he was like saying some stuff under his breath in Spanish and, and um, he was a Latino gang member. Um, I think it was MS-13 actually. Um, so... I, I put him in cuffs and he didn't fight. He just said some stuff under his breath. Turns out the guy that said something to him, I'd had in confinement for about four months. And I don't mistreat people. Like I don't. It's, it's not what I was there for. And I just didn't mistreat this guy. And because I wasn't an officer that would do something like that, he told him to get in line. I didn't. I had no idea this guy was a shot caller the whole time. So he had your back. He was just basically saying he's off limits because I like if you got rid of me, somebody was going to replace me, right? Mm, yeah. So it was kind of like, I don't, I don't pick at what doesn't need to be picked at. So therefore he's off limits until he's not off limits. So it wasn't necessarily just that he wanted to protect you. It's that he didn't want to risk getting someone else in there who might interest. Well, and you got to think like, even, even outside of that, dude, like if you have a major assault on an officer, they'll lock the whole prison down. So it could have been maybe not even that. Maybe they had plans for something totally different and didn't want to be on lockdown to keep that from happening. They're a lot smarter than people think, like tremendously smarter. So when you have nothing but time. If you've seen um, Blow, 
Great movie. Yeah, he says that he um, went into prison with a bachelor's in marijuana and he graduated prison with a doctorate in selling cocaine. So he said that he treated prison as if it were a college and he learned his craft in prison. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't make cocaine well, I'm assuming, without having some kind of intelligence. It's just where you direct it, right? So, like, poor choices. All the um, all the promise you could imagine, right? Like, somebody that's in there. But it's like you applied it in the incorrect manner. Maybe it was a situation thing. I don't know. But at some point, you decided to take your intelligence and, and use it for something that you shouldn't have or that was just at least illegal. Or maybe something happened 20 years ago when sure. they were a teenager and we all did really dumb things when we were teenagers. Uh, and, you know. I, I could have been in jail a few times. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I mean, just think about how many teenagers or college kids in fights. What if you hit somebody and they just accidentally hit the ground too hard? We don't think about that when they're that old. But, like, I can tell you is, like, I'm 36. I'll be 37 soon. Like, if you come at me, there's no winner there. It doesn't matter if I beat you or whatever. Like, I still had to fight somebody. That's not. I mean, my hands are my livelihood. I got children and a wife. Like, there's nothing good about it, right? But when you're 19, you're like, oh, I'm invincible. Ah, it's just dumb. What if you just slip up and hit somebody the wrong way and they're just out? You're in prison the rest of your life for manslaughter. So was there any one thing that made you decide to retire from your career as a correctional officer? Or did you just miss the, doing hair or what? I'll be honest, uh, it was really, man, like I drove an hour and 15 minutes one way every single day. And I hate to say it this way, but like the juice just went worth the squeeze, bro. Like I just, I knew I could do other things. So I left and I started doing construction. I met Courtney, my wife, and then she encouraged me to get back into here. Was she an inmate? Uh, just kidding, no, Courtney. She, she kept me on lockdown, you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> no, I mean. I love her. She's so sweet. Yeah, dude, I, I'm so fortunate. Yeah, you made a, a good choice there. I did. I got lucky. It was lack of options in our hometown. And I, I just landed and I was a decent guy. So she, she took me on. So I hear you. So you've been back in the hairstylist business for so, over, over a decade, well, way yeah, over a decade. Yeah. So I've done hair for coming up on 17 years. And I, I took like a year and five months hiatus or six months hiatus. And I, I mean, I still did hair for friends. I just didn't do it professionally for that time period. So even when I was a CEO, I would still do like friends here at, out of the house and stuff, which that's not preferred, but it was just fun hanging out. You know, did you ever braid anyone's hair in the, in the joint? No, no. But oddly enough, I did get a few haircuts from the inmate barber. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, it was cheap and he was, it was an older black man. He was, he was actually an extremely nice guy and could cut hair very well. So that is in the, in the structure of being a CEO um, or excuse me, of being an inmate, you want, something that people want from you, whether, whether it be a service, a skill, a knowledge, fill in the blank. So this guy could cut hair better than anybody. He would be the one that was posted up right when you would go past the uh, security measures to get inside. So he was the closest to that than any other inmate. He had a barber chair set up. And if any officer needed a haircut, you could get in line. Dude, it was $4, four bucks. He probably cleaned up though. Well, I mean, you got to think like, I mean, relatively, I mean, he was never without for sure. Always had food and, and he always took really a lot of pride in how he dressed. So like they, they all have the same clothes, but he would get up, they had their own way to iron stuff and his clothes were always pressed and creased. Like he, he was just old school, like super nice guy. I don't even know what he did. I have no idea. He was just always ultra polite, very respectful and took a lot of pride in cutting hair. So it was, it was interesting to see a different version of it. So. I was still kind of tied to it in some way, I guess. So now you have, uh, so you've opened up a new salon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's called the well. It's over on Morse Avenue. Um, so if you go under the decommissioned bridge, the one that's just like walking, um, I believe that's Richard Arrington right there. You go under it and there's condos with a giant blue robot. That's just a, f a phenomenal muralist did it. So I'm directly across the street. Yeah. Um, white storefront, black windows. So it's called, it's called the well salon, right? What does that mean? Yeah. So the well, um, not to be confused, I guess, with my son's name. Um, Wells. Yeah. So my eldest boy is Wells. Um, that is my mother's maiden name. And that's where we got it from, um, to honor my grandparents. Uh, the, 
the story of the well really came from not the well itself, but the water, like the sustenance you get from it. So it's kind of a biblical reference in that regard. But it was like, it's not about it being the location versus what you find inside. So it's just the community, the culture, the relationship you build behind the chair with these people. Like I have clients that I've known for 10 plus years and I've, I mean, they always make me feel like part of their family. I, we get invited to life events. It's amazing. Um, so, you know, really it, it's the well, but it's because that's just the place you find it. You know what I mean? So to us, we just want to be part of the community. We just want to be like embedded in the community um, and be a place that, you know, whether you have a haircut that day or not, if you want to stop by, get coffee, hang out, like that's what we're there for. It, the salon is a product of my clientele and God, in my opinion. So all the people that have poured into me, like, it's just, it's not me. It's that it's less of me, if anything. So, and the grand opening's coming up. Uh, it's not a grand opening. Like the, the only reason I say that is we just, I don't have any stylists that work for me right now. So I'm a one man show. It can still be a grand opening. You just open up a new establishment. We want to celebrate that. So um, free tacos to me means grand opening. I mean, that's it's going to be a grand party. Uh, I just don't want to, you know, I feel like it's a Josh party if I call it a grand opening. I don't want that. So to me, it's just a, a chill meet and greet, you know, like just come hang out, eat some free food, some free drinks, listen to music, pop in, check it out and, you know, have a good Friday. May 5th. Yeah, it's Cinco de Mayo, um, and we're catering in Uno's Tacos because they're just the best tacos in town, in my opinion. Oh, that's a pretty hat. <laughs> I, ne- I, I needed my clo- my shirt on. Um, so we're catering in Uno's Tacos, and I'm going to probably do like some giveaways, stuff like that. Um, I haven't gotten it yet, but I think I'm going to get a really nice blow dryer, and I'm just going to kind of raffle it off for free. Um, so. Basically, you come, you sign up, say like, "Hey, I participated." Blah blah blah. I'll do a random drawing. I'm just gonna give it out, and then we'll have like we'll have like some door prices and stuff, some fun, just a good time, dude. You know, chill. Yeah, so. it sounds like fun. I think I forgot to point this out to you earlier. Have you did you notice little Vulcan over here? I did, dude. He's got Lil a nice little bobblehead. He's just like styling and profiling you like that. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Hold on, turn him around. Oh, baby, this is back, part, dog. This is, this is party trick. <laughs> yeah, shake, shake it if you got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was listening to a podcast earlier. It was about Vulcan, and the podcast is by a guy named I think his name's Sean Wright. I just discovered the podcast is called Alabama Short Stories. Okay, and I'm already I'm already addicted to it. It's so good. He's got maybe seven to fifteen minute episodes about all the popular attractions and, and some of the lesser known attractions around Birmingham. So I listened to an episode about uh, fancy the elephant from the old Al- Avondale zoo. And I listened to an episode about Vulcan's torch which was actually really interesting. And he had a whole episode about, you know, that sign all the way back from, uh, from down South, go to church, the devil will kill you. Staple in our, all, it's like so important. Yeah. Everyone knows that, but um, he had an episode about the origin of that sign and what is the origin of it? In 1988, they almost changed that sign. You know, I was there on that lake, with the yeah, water yeah. wheel. Yeah, yeah. They almost took that down and put up a new sign of Bear Bryant walking on water. That's a, I would have hit totally different. It would have. It's like literally the opposite. Yeah. And I'm a Bama fan, but like, all right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, it's a miracle that he turned around football for Alabama. I mean, he did that. He did, there. yeah. Well, yeah, uh, it's an interesting origin story, and I'll, I'll, I won't do it service by telling it, but uh, listen to Alabama Short Stories, really I'm good podcast. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get him on the podcast. I think he'd be a really good guest. He, he would share some really fun facts about the city. Yeah, anybody that has like immense history of the city, I feel like would be excellent to talk to in general. Yeah, I got to go down to uh, the library. There's a guy down there in Rickers named Connor. Um, he's extremely helpful to you. Um, but I wanted to source photos of my building because the building I'm in is, it was built in like 1907 ish. Um, and the city has an archives department in the basement of the original library. You can schedule an appointment, go down there and check it out. Um, but I got to look through a a binder of about 120 pages and it was like, it's copies of original photos that have been donated to the library. Like when a family, like some family member passes, because they're like, they realize the historical value of it. Mm. So they have the first house that was ever built here. They have the first roads, the first railways, all of the architecture that's downtown, dude. It's like when you see it in its old time before any of the things were like really torn down and redone, 
it's incredible. Um, the old neighborhoods to see them in their just immense, immense glory. They were of like the craftsmanship. It's beautiful. Um, but I found my building, um, which is really neat. And Morris back then, um, have you ever been to a classic car show by chance? Yeah. So you know how they line the cars up, you know, in a line, like if it's, if it's a double street, they'll do it linear, like up the street, you know, like opposite of parallel parking. Um, and there's a photo that I, I took, um, a photo of it and they're doing horse and buggy. And it was so showing off the buggies like cars. Well, it was like, I don't know if they were doing that or not, or if it was like, that's just how people parked and that's where it originated. Mm-hmm. But it was, that's what I thought about. Cause my dad was a big hot ride guy. Um, but what, what Morris used to be was the train would stop, offload all the supplies, and everywhere on Morris was a market. Um, so what I've been told, and I, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, so caveat in there. But like in the 70s, there was someone that was murdered down there. And it just crushed the uh, culture. Like everybody kind of fled. There's a few businesses that, that were able to like, like kind of carry through. The Peanut Co. being like the one everybody thinks about. That's, that's been there for that long? Oh, yeah, dude. Wow. Yeah. I, I I was talking to the client the other day that told me about it. I think that it's only ever changed hands twice. So three families have owned it in its entire history, but it's been around for a long time. They have such good peanuts too. Every time we go to Pepper Place, they have a shop set mm-hmm. up there and we'll get their boiled peanuts. They have Cajun flavor and uh, buffalo flavor yeah. and dill pickle flavor. So good. Yeah. And I need to go down there. I want some like original ones. I feel like being from Dothan, which is the literal peanut capital of the world. Yeah. It's like, I just want to go see, man. But is that where um, John Washington Carver, was he from around there? Because, you know, he was like the father of the peanut or he discovered, you know, he discovered, we, we learned about him in history class in school and he discovered like 500 uses for the peanut or something. But here's the thing. So we learned the fact that he discovered hundreds of uses for the sure. peanut. But I did a little more research. I was oh, wondering, what are those uses? Because I can think of a few, but 500 seemed a little excessive. What are your few before you hit the he list? He would never publish the uses. He just said that he found the uses. So he never shared what these 500 uses were. So we're just taking his word for the fact that he found hundreds of uses for the peanut. So I don't know if I even believe it anymore. What are your What are the few that you know of? Peanut butter and jelly would be well, one. Well, duh. Um, peanut oil is in sure. a lot of things. That's what everyone uh, in the South originally fried with. Yeah, boiled peanuts, roasted peanuts, salted peanuts. Well, I, I mean, feel like bubble now, gum and yeah, shrimp. I was over say, here. Now you're just like naming the same use, <laughs> like they're edible. I get that. All right, Josh, I got some rapid fire questions for you. Oh, great! I'm rad on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so just answer. Just re- reflexively, yeah. I'll try. I'm not good at that. Okay. Dine-in or takeout? Takeout. Chick-fil-A or Milo's? Does it matter if the restaurant itself is good or not? Like the location of the chain? Mm-mm. Okay, if Chick-fil-A was if Chick-fil-A was rad, Chick-fil-A. But all of the ones close to my house suck, so Milo's all day. So when Chick-fil-A is at its best? I would take Chick-fil-A, but I love Milo's. I just don't eat out a lot. Everybody like goes there. Their sauce. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I haven't had it in a long time, but it's so good. East, West, or El Barrio? I've never eaten it either. Yeah. I'll answer for you. East, West. Wait, wait, wait. El Barrio is different type of food, though, isn't it? Yeah, but they're both like decent restaurants in Birmingham. Right. They're East kind of, West they're on the same street. East, West is Asian fusion. Okay. And then El Barrio is Mexican food, right? Yeah. So I'll borrow you for me then. Okay. Well, we'll uh, split the difference there. Shout out to Colby. Hey man, hey, I'll come. We'll have a we'll have a parents' night out. We'll go because I've never eaten there. Let's do it. Good people or trim tab. Uh, whoever has the beer closest to Coors Light. Okay. Here's one for you. Speaking of coffee, yeah, June or Revelator. Oh man. So my previous employer, who I you know I just try to not make it weirder than it already had to be. I don't go to Revelator because it's very close to it. Uh, just, just cause like, you know, no need for added, re, you know, silliness. So I don't go to Revelator. I love everybody at Revelator. In the, the five and a half years that I worked downtown, I always went to Revelator and it was absolutely my favorite coffee. I've been going to June for months as I've been building out my salon. 
because it's right around the corner. It's good. And then I like the dudes over at the barber shop beside it, uh, Zephyr, um, just because I like to be a client too. So like, I'll yeah, someone's go, got to cut your hair. And if I'm not shaving it, and I just kind of want to like go be a client, I go to Zephyr. They're rad dudes. Um, June, aesthetically, I like it better. Uh, it's smaller, so it's different. But like, their coffee is amazing. And I, I know the people that work there because where I used to work there, they, they were patrons of there at the time, at least. Um, and they were just always really nice people. So, yeah. Right now, June. Revelator has been my, my last five and a half years, though. Kelly Kapowski or Topanga Lawrence? <sighs> Contacts on this one? No. You just pick one. Just straight. Mm. Let's say mid- middle school you is answering the question. Mm, Topanga. Mm, same. Oh, e- easy answer for only me. Only because she had curly hair, dog. And my wife's got curly hair, dude. It's a thing. For and, you're, and you're a hair guy. Yeah, dude. Better hair for sure. Both are beautiful women, though. So, tough one. But Topanga. Speaking of hair, I actually had one more question I forgot to ask earlier. So, you look like you would be welcome in any biker gang, but why do so many <laughs> women come to you to style their hair? I don't know, man. Um, you're very artistic. You're obviously very good at it. I see everything you post on, on social media. I'm terrible with social media. I never post. Uh, not like I should. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just try to be really polite. I, I think the unique thing about being a male hairdresser and being a straight male hairdresser, like no shade to anybody else, but when you're not – or when you're a straight guy that does hair, okay, so follow me on this one. You're not a fellow female, so there's not that camaraderie. And I don't mean to lump gay men into that category, but there's a bit of like a sisterhood because they're not interested, right? They're not a potential love interest or physically whatever. So I think what happens when you're a straight guy is you get one chance. So you you better knock it out of the park. So you get one chance to not creep them out. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a part of it, I would think. Um, I don't know. I've, I've just always been hyper-respectful. Um, at least I, I try my very best to. Um, and – I have no motives. I just want to take care of the hair. So I think that in some way that's comfortable and, and kind of unique. Um, I've worked with other straight hairstylists and they were, you know, they were great, but um, yeah, I, I think, I think I just, because I know that I only get one chance, I just always try to do the very best every time. And I think that sticks out. I, it's just, yeah, it's just how I do here. I don't know. I was uh, telling Katie about it the other day, how one of the things that I, that I admire most about you because I don't have this ability. You have the skill to just, if you wanted to just go on a monologue and it's not uninteresting. You, some people when they're, when they're talking and they just keep talking and keep talking, it's boring you. But I think because you're behind the chair and people are there and they know they can kind of just like sit there and listen to an interesting conversation or steer the conversation. I think they appreciate that you're able to carry them. Yeah, I mean, it's like I think hairstylists in general have this that they develop. So you think it's like a muscle that you can work out and get better at? Well, I will tell you, when I first started doing hair, I couldn't do that. That's what I do know. Um, I've always been very social, but like when I was was 19, you know, I mean, young guy, I, I never had a passion or an idea that I would do hair. I was an art major. That's how I ended up being a hairstylist. So it was, it, I look at it very much from that lens. So cutting is drawing, you're manipulating lines. Coloring is painting. So you're shading or, you know, in, you're putting emphasis here or taking away here, minimizing things occasionally, um, whatever. So for me, um, at first, you know, when I was a single guy, I would get, you know, like this, a stunning woman in my chair and I would stammer a little bit, dude. I would be a little nervous because I'm like, I don't have a hidden motive, but you're a beautiful lady. And yeah, it made me a little nervous because I was like, God, I hope I do this hair well and I don't say something stupid. But then as I got older and I just, I did it enough, you get to the point to where it's just like, you know that you're not an option. They're not an option. And like that, this is before I was married. Um, You're not an option. And it's just like, it's just all professional setting once you kind of get over the hump of, you know, just meeting new people constantly. And it's not so nerve wracking. And it's just like, hey, how are you? How's your day going? What do you do? And and that's what I always like to do. Like I like to make it about other people. And then once you kind of have that going, 
you people start asking you about you and then you can just kind of fill the spaces and let them cruise through it. You know, I have a lot of clients that love to chat, but I have a, several that are just very quiet and chill. You know, we say probably 10 sentences, the whole appointment. So I just try to be whatever the hair or I mean, um, excuse me. I just try to be whatever the client needs, yeah. you know, Read talk some or don't. Yeah. If you could have any non-domesticated animal as a pet, what would you pick? Nothing matters about it. It could just be like the most ridiculous thing and everything would be facilitated. Logistics don't matter. It can be a dinosaur if you want. Tiger. A tiger? Yeah. Okay. So well, like, actually, actually, yeah, a tiger. So tiger. Joe Exotic vibes over here? No, no, not not at all. More like, a, oh, what was his name? Mike Dyson? No, you know, you know, no, that's not what I'm talking about, Chase. You <laughs> Did you ever see that video? Yeah, pocket. There's a video of him wrestling a white tiger in his front yard. I mean, that sounds like some stuff he would do. Yeah. He is maybe one of the craziest individuals in the world. And I mean, mad respect. Love him as a boxer, but wildlife. Um, what was his name, dude, in uh, the Jungle Book? Mowgli? No, that was the bear. No, that was the boy. Blue was the bear. Who was the Big tiger? Big era. Oh, no, Shere Khan. Shere Khan, yeah, yeah. Like Shere Khan vibes, dude. Yeah, like you're just lurking off to the side. Not being a, you know, not being terrible, but you're just kind of kicked back over there. Kind of that vibe. Not playful. I just kind of off in the distance, like, hey, dude, do you. Because you said logistics didn't matter. That's why I was kind of like, hmm, there's beautiful. Well, I asked because on April 6th, a man made a different choice. Stop, dude. It's not real. A man was criminally charged taking a wild platypus on a train ride and a shopping trip. Let me expand on this. In Queensland, Australia, one man was charged. Yeah. One man was charged violating the state's conservation laws after taking a wild platypus on a train ride and a shopping trip. Surveillance footage captured the suspect's outing with the animal. And if convicted, he's facing up to $288,000 in fines. Here's what the police say. Taking a platypus from the wild is not only illegal, but it can be a dangerous for both the displaced animal and the person involved, especially if the platypus is a male, as they have venomous spurs. Would you have ever imagined that a platypus is poisonous? I feel like I maybe knew that. I didn't realize it was spurs and how they even would attach. So the question I have, though, about this, and it was just like, it stuck out. You said two hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars in fines. Mm-hmm. Why that? Why that number? And where does it go? Yeah, it's not like the platypus is going to benefit from that. Where are you going to put him up in a like ball and platypus enclosure for the rest of his life with all the food he can eat? I just like. I mean, I just got questions there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where does the money go? Yeah, I mean that was wild that the dude did that, but it's like two hundred eighty-eight thousand dollars. That's yeah. so much money. And where's the justification for it? Or is it just like an obligatory amount to just? get you to not do something in an even weirder headline. I, I don't know how to explain this one. This one is too, is too weird for me. Oh gosh. That would, that last one was pretty well. This one's April 10th. So it's probably old news by now. I know a lot of people have already heard this Jeez. about the Dalai Lama. Oh gosh. Yeah. Man. Another, <laughs> not a llama. This is the Dalai Lama and how he, he offered, no, he was actually asking a young boy to suck his tongue, and it was on video. video? Yeah. So you watched the, the actual thing? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, super weird, man. Like, I I don't know. I feel like he's a weirdo. I don't even care about the apology or any of that stuff. Like, I watched it, and it was I, – I was in disbelief. Same. I think everybody was because it, it just it, – it's almost too weird to fathom. Now, cor- correct me if I'm wrong. But the Dalai Lama, whenever they get to a certain point, when they die, they're replaced? Or is it they, like, step down and they're replaced? No idea. I don't either. And I, I don't want to misspeak there. But so you mean, is, is it like a Pope situation where they're replaced? Yeah, like like if they're no longer able to do what is considered their duty or their role, do they then step down and then by some other means someone's chosen? Or is it like... Until they pass, and then somebody else comes up as the next. I have no idea. So is it like, can they do no wrong, and they can't be replaced? Or, or yeah, I don't know how it works, man. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't know how you justify that. 
Yeah, I got, I got, I honestly, like, I, it's gross. It was, it was, so he kissed him on the, or asked for a kiss on the forehead first, I think. Normal, normal. I mean, that's even kind of weird to me. No, like, he asked the kid to kiss him. Oh, yeah, okay, weird. I don't think he kissed the kid on the forehead. Like, it wasn't like a blessing type thing, I don't think, if I'm recalling it correctly. And then the asking of the, yeah, it was just weird. It was like, suck my tongue. <laughs> Even just hearing that sounds. Uh, gross. Felt gross saying it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, no, no, you said it like you meant it. So I, I mean, the answer is no. You have a blonde beard and it doesn't <laughs> trick me. Like, I was talking to Katie earlier and we were saying that I need to change the name of the podcast to BBW. Big bearded white men. Dude. Because Harrison, now you. Y'all are big. Y'all, you guys are tall, brawny dudes. I'm just a shrimp. I got to get some diversity on this podcast. So, uh, females, if you please reach out to me if you'd like to become, come on as a guest. And the podcast is one of inclusion. Yes. Yes. No beards allowed for the next two episodes. Yeah, you must have shaved freshly. Mm-hmm. I have an, uh, a last headline here. This one happened today, I think. Oh, I'm really not up on this. Mm-hmm. So thieves stole $200,000 worth of dimes from a truck in a Walmart parking lot. That's a lot of dimes. That sounds so unnecessary. Yeah. The truck's driver had picked up an estimated 7.5 million dimes from Philadelphia's U.S. Mint for the transport to Florida. The perpetrators broke in while the driver was gone, and they took an estimated 2 million coins from that load. That's insane. That weight was at 10,000 pounds. So in case you're wondering, 2 million dimes weighs 10,000 pounds and no one's been arrested. So they got away with it. I don't, I don't know how you flee with that. That's wild. Um, and also what were you driving to be able to hold that many? Yeah, dimes? I mean, that's a heavy payload there. I, I, I mean, a, an armored truck is huge, but like, I don't know what the capacity anyway, fun fact. When you mentioned like, if you need to know, if you need to know anything, you can call the engineering department in Auburn and you can ask them any question and they'll call you back with a calculated answer. Is that still going on? Last I heard. Yeah. Like, so I mean, they can tell you how many Skittles will fill up the stadium. Like they literally have the answer already because somebody asked them that. How many would you guess? Oh God, dude. I don't know. That's insane. Okay. Guess how many Skittles can fill up a stadium. Let's ask chat GPT and see if it knows. All right. I haven't used that yet, but I've heard about it some. Um, I'm going to say this, and this is just like me throwing out, and uh, honestly, like an arbitrary number, because I don't think I could really grasp the count of this. 900 million. Okay. Let's ask. Okay, I'll, I'll put a guess in first. Absolutely in the billions. Got to be. You think in the billions? Yeah. I just think a billion is so high. It is. I'm going to go with... 3.2 billion. Whoa. So we're way separate. I'm just under a billion. So I think, I think the whole idea of that is when you think about a thousand and a hundred of them, and then it's 999 of them plus one more thousand to make a million. I said 900 of those. So it's like, it, it, I mean, it, I think it's more substantial when you try to think of what that could be. When you say a billion, like a billion is an extremely high number. The only thing that makes me more nervous is our debt as a country. It's like 16 trillion. What was the answer? <laughs> All right. I'm just going to read you what it said because it, it gave a very well, I don't want to say thought out because it wasn't thinking, but it. Did some calculations here. So it says it's difficult to estimate the exact number of Skittles that can fit into an average football stadium as there are several factors that can influence the result, such as the size of the stadium, the capacity of seats, etc. But to make some rough calculations, here are some basic assumptions. Let's assume that the average football stadium has a seating capacity of 60,000 and a volume of 3 million cubic meters. Yeah. Now let's assume that each Skittle has a diameter of about 1 centimeter. And a height of about 0.5 centimeters. So it does the calculations. Oh, so it doesn't include the air in between. No, it does. If it was a bowl, it does? Mm-hmm. Okay. 15 billion. To find the number of Skittles that can fit in the stadium, we can divide the volume of the stadium by the volume of one Skittle. That equals, okay, 
So 3 billion cubic centimeters. Oh my gosh. It's looking at a, a, approximately 7.6 billion Skittles in a football stadium. Yeah, so I just estimated wrong by a little bit. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's, That's interesting, so man. But, I mean, think about that number. Like, you could stand on one side of the stadium. I could look at you like the the opposite ends of the long side, right? I could look at you in binoculars and still barely make you out. It's that large. And then 7 point whatever billion would fill it up of a Skittle. Yeah, it's a high number. Yeah, it's insane. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I know that. I feel a little bit smarter after this episode. I feel like I know more about prison. I know how many dimes makes up ten thousand dollars and or ten thousand pounds, and I know how many Skittles can fit in a stadium. So this, I think this has been a really excellent episode. I just kind of want Skittles now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's let's repeat. So the uh, the salon is off Morris Avenue. What's the address? Uh, it's twenty one hundred Morris Avenue. Um, and a good landmark is when you go down under the bridge that shut down. It's uh. Richard Arrington Boulevard. Uh, there's the the condo with the giant blue robot. A local famous muralist did. It's an incredible painting. We're across the street, so it's the white storefront with the black windows and black door. Okay, and coming up on May fifth, we're having an event to celebrate the opening. And um, you you are actually you're hiring stylists right now as well, right? Yeah, I am. I'm just not in a hurry. Um, I definitely encourage anyone that 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 is interested to come by check it out. Especially that May 5th thing. I mean, that's partially what it's for. It's just an open house, open house environment. Yeah. But if you want something a little more intimate, you want to sit down at a coffee shop, talk, talk about it, et cetera. I reserve Mondays for that Monday mornings. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we're looking, the most important thing to us is the culture in the salon. So just definitely it's a respect your coworkers and we're a customer oriented salon. That's what it's about. So. I definitely encourage anyone to come and then eventually we'll hire administrative staff for the front desk as well. So free tacos. Yeah, dude. Free Uno's tacos, which are way better than just. So you said margaritas, maybe having some drinks. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have margaritas. We'll have beer, wine, just normal stuff. Sodas, water, um, mariachi band, sombreros. Um, actually I'll be in there specifically playing accordion. You're welcome. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Josh, thanks for coming on, man. It's been fun and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, buddy. All right, buddy. 